How can you not be romantic about baseball? Bringing a high drive to left. This baby's way back. It is out of here. I don't believe what I just saw. Coswell slashes one foul. Oh, that hit a bird, and it bounces back into fair territory. Oh, I got I to gotta check the rule book on this one, folks. I'm too drunk to taste this chicken. Our ass is in the jackpot now. You're listening to Booze and Baseball. There's 50 feet of crap, and then there's us. A baseball first podcast, sort of, featuring Derek Johnson. What you just said is one of the most insanely idiotic things I have ever heard. Everyone in this room is now dumber for having listened to it. And Dusty Baker. I heard that. Dynamite drop-in money. That broadcast school has really paid off. So sit back and enjoy the talk around the diamonds with a cold one in hand. Today's secret ingredient is beer! I love scotch. I love scotch. Scotch is got scotch. Here it goes down. Down into my belly. Welcome into another edition of Booze and Baseball with Derek Johnson and Dusty Baker. This is uh, episode three for us here. After our uh, World Series preview and recap, and uh, on the docket for today, we are going to be doing our AL West preview, where we go kind of team by team, look at how they did this past year, and kind of look ahead to the offseason, and as we get closer to 2021. We've also got our first guest of the uh, Booze and Baseball podcast. We're going to be joined by Robbie Fueling, who's going to help us uh, talk more of the AL West and specifically with the Texas Rangers. He was down there with Dusty at the uh, World Series. So that'll be fun to talk to him. Uh, But first things first, Dusty, what are you drinking tonight? Yeah, Derek, uh, you know, as we get along here, I think my drinks kind of improve, but this is by far, you know, the coolest one that I have. It's actually one of our viewers sent it to me, Eric Backman. Shout out to you. Thank you, man. This one's a really cool one. I, I can't honestly tell you exactly where you can get this. I know it's in Southern California region, but this is called the Buzzrock Kershaw's Wicked Curve Grapefruit Wheat Ale. And so uh, it is a pretty cool looking can, first of all. You got Kershaw throwing what looks like a baseball, and it's actually a grapefruit. Um, but uh, the coolest thing about this is not just the drink itself, but also uh, on the back, it tells you 100% of royalties be- uh, benefit both Ellen and Clayton Kershaw's uh, charity. It's Kershaw's Challenge. Their mission is to serve the most vulnerable living in Los Angeles, Dallas, Zambia, and the Dominican Republic as well. And since 2011, Kershaw's Challenge has raised more than $12 million for organizations supporting those in need around the globe. And so for more information, you can visit kershawschallenge.com but uh, all benefits uh, you know proceeds go directly from this beer to uh, those charities so you could say that drinking is uh, kind of helping out people out there and so I, I love that and uh, you know I'm, I'm excited to try this as well thank you once again Eric Backman for the drink pretty excited to try this all right I love that I am going to be as we do our kind of divisional breakdowns I want to try to go you know a beer that's uh, locally uh, brewed or, or something to that region so we're doing the ale west I know there's not a team in Hawaii, but Hawaii is on the West Coast. It's close <laughs> enough, at least. So I'm going with one of my uh, favorite Kona Brewing Company beers. It is the Big Wave Golden Ale. All Delicious right. beer. It is refreshing, and uh, it is West Coast, at least I enough. Throw- Can you count Hawaii as West Coast? Yeah. 
Yes. Okay. And also, I, I think uh, when you hear the name Kona Brewing Company, the first thing that comes to my mind is Derek's dog is named Kona. So that adds the, uh, the extra benefit to that as well. I can't confirm or deny that my dog was <laughs> named after drinking one of these and seeing the bottle cap and going, that might be a good dog name. My friend, it's our third episode. Cheers to you. I'm going to crack this thing open. And unlike the other times, I'm actually not going to sip from this. I'm going to pour it into a glass because I kind of want to keep this as well. But cheers to you, my friend. Cheers. You are classier than I am. I'm going straight out of the bottle here. I already cracked mine because I couldn't get that great cracking sound with a bottle, but thank you for, uh, for doing that. And that's going to actually lead us into our first segment of the night. We're going to do cheers slash pour one out. I think the context there is, is pretty implied. Cheers is more of a celebration. Pour one out is more of a we respect you, but uh, we're sorry that something happened to you. So we feel I'll, for you to the degree that you're uh, the frustrations that you are kind of personally facing right now. As as you see what we follow through with this, it's it's going to make a lot of sense uh, going through this. All right. So first up, I'm going to send a cheers out. These were just announced. We're recording here tonight on Monday night, and these were just announced earlier today. Kyle Lewis was named the AL Rookie of the Year. Devin Williams was named the NL Rookie of the Year. Cheers to both of them. Cheers to them as well. And uh, when you look at those two, uh, I-, I was reading a Ken Rosenthal tweet uh, just a couple of minutes ago. Uh, these are the first pair of black players uh, since 1984 that won Rookie of the Year. So that's kind of a cool stat. I-, I know baseball is trying to try and get more of the black community involved in the league as well. And so this is a great stepping stone. And uh, these are two very well-deserving candidates as well. Uh, Kyle Lewis obviously kind of fell off towards the end of the season, but still posted great numbers, 262 average, 11 home runs. His slugging was a little down, but uh, you can expect that to rise uh, over the coming years. And as for Devin Williams, I mean, he was just absolutely unhittable this year. I saw from Jason Stark that uh, the strikeout to hit ratio for Devin Williams was over six to one. And the next closest for in terms of best in that rate in MLB history, or at least to what he had statistically, was Aroldis Chapman, and it was like over five. Nobody had been over six. And it's a shortened season. I get it, but he was unhittable. His changeup was the most unhittable pitch in baseball. Uh, so well-deserving for both those guys. I'm going to pour one out, and then I'll let you give a cheers and pour one out. I'm going to pour one out for six players. The six players who got the qualifying <laughs> offer, that would be Kevin Gossman, Marcus Stroman, Trevor Bauer, DJ LeMayhew, JT Realmuto, and George Springer. Now, this could technically be seen as a cheers because, hey, you're being offered $18 million. Like, that's awesome. But it's a poor one out because typically the qualifying offer, um, since it's been around, has just slowed the market of free agents. It's made it more difficult for other teams to sign them because they have to give up the draft pick to do so. And then you see certain cases where, like for Trevor Bauer, I don't think it'll be an issue. He's a good enough player. Team's going to be fine with partying with the draft pick to get him. But for some of these lesser players, other teams aren't going to really be as interested, which means he's not going to get as many offers. He's not going to get as much money maybe as he's worth it. Uh, I remember a couple of years ago, like you had Mike Moustakis get the qualifying offer. And then I don't think he signed till like March or April or something. Like you see this happening now. So it kind of stinks for some of those players who get the qualifying offer. So pouring one out for them. Um, I'm going to do, first of all, let's, let's do a, a pour one out as well. Um, I got to pour one out for the Red Sox fans out there. You know, they first of all, they lose Mookie Betts this offseason. Uh, and now, obviously, 
word is circulating that Heim Bloon, he might actually start to a rebuild here. And of course, they also add Alex Cora to this. And so all they're going to be hearing about now is the scandal. I don't think that they're actually going to be talking about baseball more than they will be about, you know, what goes around Alex Cora and uh, all the speculation of was this a good hire. And I know that we'll, we'll talk even more about that later on. But unfortunately for Red Sox fans, that's something they're going to have to hear about for not only this year, but for a very long time because that scandal ain't going away. Um, and then on top of that, I also want to do a cheers. I want to cheers to Trevor Bauer. Uh, so not only is he about to make the big bucks this offseason, and we don't know if it's going to be a one-year deal or a seven-year deal. He seems to think that he's going to get a one-year deal. That's that's what he's shooting for. Of course, Trevor Bauer has to kind of go beyond the scope of what the norm is. But uh, I want to add to his social media following is just absolutely ridiculous, and it continues to grow uh, because he seems to troll every single fan base, making them think that he's going to play for their team. And uh, the best part is he took a picture, a selfie in front of Minute Maid uh, Park. And he said, wow, what a, what a great place to possibly play here. We all know Trevor Bauer is not going to the Houston Astros. If he does, I mean, that would be the biggest troll move. And Trevor Bauer would kind of pull that off. But uh, to say the least, if you look at the following, it just continues to shoot up through the roof. Uh, Trevor Bauer is the kind of guy that understands what it means to brand yourself. Man, that guy is creating a brand that I don't think is going to be beat in the major leagues. All right, I want to fire uh, off some other ones that we'll just get to quickly. Cheers to all the MLB players who won silver sluggers and gold gloves. I think they have the platinum glove too now. Um, on the flip side, pour one out for the MLB. Who decided to release the gold glove awards on election night? That was a little silly. Um, and then the other one I want to get to, uh, cheers and pour one out at the same time. <laughs> For Rick Renteria, the White Sox manager, who was nominated for AL Manager of the Year, but was also fired. So cheers for being nominated. Pour one out because he was fired. And then the last one I want to get to, and this is kind of a, a developing story that we've seen tonight. Um, pour one out for the kids, so to speak, in Chicago. <laughs> the kind of let the kids play mantra. It's obviously something we talked about a little bit last podcast. Didn't go super in-depth on it, but the challenge for the White Sox with all these young players and you add a 76 year old manager, who's an old school guy with Tony Larusa, And then you add in the extra wrinkle that was coming today. ESPN reporting that Tony Larusa had been charged with a DUI uh, just a day before he was hired as the White Sox manager. So uh, pour one out. You look at players like Tim Anderson, Luis Robert, Eloy Jimenez, Yon Moncada. I mean, that's a young team. You add, uh, what is LaRusa, 76 years old? And then on top of that, I mean, a 76-year-old is getting charged with a DUI. That's not the most responsible way to go about your business. It's kind of amazing that the White Sox hired this man after knowing about that, and that's a recent charge. It's This could be a mess. You know, the White Sox are a team that's on the rise. The last thing they need is a distraction uh, of a veteran manager. It just doesn't make a lot of sense. And uh, there's a lot of weird speculation kind of going around this as well. But uh, definitely not the best news for the south side of Chicago. Yeah, and uh, we are booze in baseball, but we do not encourage drinking and driving. Drink safe and uh, just get an Uber or something. There's so many ways to avoid DUIs nowadays. You Uber, Lyft, taxi, walk, take a scooter. I don't care. Let's get on to our uh, AL West discussion, and then we'll uh, have a conversation with Robbie Fueling, who's going to join us here in a second. Let's start out with the team who won the AL West. That was the Oakland A's. They went 36-24 and 24 last year. They lost to the uh, Astros and the ALDS. I just realized it sounds very weird to say last year already. It's been like a week since the season <laughs> ended. but uh, We quickly shift the, uh, the direction to the new season. I, I'm still obviously – 
holding on to this past season. But yes, we quickly turn our attention. Uh, and for the Oakland A's, I mean, you know, 36 and 24, that lost the Astros as well. You know, the Pythagorean had them at a 35 win team. Um, and so uh, we kind of had this broken down in terms of, you know, we are booze in baseball. So the party, of course, you know, when you look at the Oakland A's, uh, first of all, usually they walked. I mean, uh, they were fifth in the AL and part of the poor man's, you know, Kevin Euclid, if you will, is Mark Canna. That's your favorite player. Out guy. There, Derek. <laughs> Derek is a huge Mark Canna guy. We're in a fantasy baseball league together. And I swear every single year, Mark Canna finds his way onto Derek's roster. Like I say, he is a poor man's Kevin Euclid. He walks <laughs> at an insanely high rate. He smokes the ball. He hits it at a high launch angle. Doesn't hit for the greatest average, but he's a really good hitter. Well, and you also like Sean Murphy, um, the catcher yeah. for the A's. He was one of their top prospects. And you know how it works sometimes with top prospects that don't immediately show promise? Uh, it takes them just a little bit to get going. That was kind of Sean Murphy, but now he officially does look like the real deal, what everybody was projecting. He's got a ton of power. They also have starters that maybe weren't amazing, but uh, they have a ton of potential still uh, moving forward, a lot of youth as well. Um, the bullpen was elite. That's going to change a little bit due to free agency, of course. But uh, they ranked fourth in the ERA in the AL and second in walks allowed. And uh, as for the starters, you can kind of take that one away. Yeah, so the starters, like you said, I mean, they were overall not amazing, but they were fine. The ERA was in the fours. Uh, Mike Miner, even after they got him from Texas, thought he could maybe be kind of a bounce back guy. He continued to struggle. Uh, Frankie Montas. He had a pretty good start, but he didn't finish the year well. Um, ended up with nearly a 6 ERA, but I think moving forward, you still like the stuff that he has, and you feel like he has good potential. Sean Manaya uh, was kind of your quality start-level guy, 4.5 ERA, but the FIP was 3.7, which uh, sometimes that can be more predictive that you, know, you were a better pitcher than the ERA suggests. Mike Fires is kind of your other consistent quality start guy, and then Chris Bassett had a tremendous season. He had under a 2-3 ERA. Uh, Jesus Lazardo, ERA slightly over four, but showed a lot of promise. I think we're both pretty high on the fact that Lazardo can be, um, if not an ace for the A's moving forward, at least at the top of that rotation. And yeah, I mean, overall, not the greatest season from the A's starters, but definitely not bad. I think there's a lot of potential there. When you say you have Jesus Lazardo, when you see the stuff Frankie Montas has, when you see Sean Manaya still kind of entering his prime. Chris Bassett has his best season. And then you have a guy like A.J. Puck, who I don't know if they're going to use him moving forward as a starter or reliever. He's had injury issues, so maybe that leans toward being a reliever. But either way, that could be another weapon you kind of add in. Yeah, and I mean, you look at the bullpen. Uh, I think the A's bullpen kind of gave in a little bit during the actual ALDS. But overall, during the regular season, it was rather – I mean, they, they held their ground. And it all was because of their man, Liam Hendricks, uh, their closer. He was one of the best relievers in all of baseball. You had all the guys like Jake Deepman that were set up as well. Uh, and they put up great seasons. Joaquin Soria was – as strong Don't forget as my guy, Yasmero Petit. <laughs> Yasmero Petit is an ageless wonder. I tell you what, he, he's going to be like the next Bartolo Colon that many people don't even know of. He, he's definitely a versatile bullpen weapon. Uh, he could be using long relief, high leverage. His ERA, it was 166. I mean, what? this guy just does not go away. I feel like he's been in the league for years. Yeah, he uh, was the hero for the Giants in that, uh, I forget if it was 18 or 19 inning game with the Nationals in uh, 2014 in the NLDS. He pitched like five, six innings out of the pen, went deep into the game. He he just does it all. I love Yasmero Petit. <laughs> yeah, Petit is uh, the kind of guy that you want in the pen. He's 
It, we're going to get to free agency here in a sec, but uh, the problem for the A's is definitely going to be that. But moving forward with Hendricks, Soria, Petit, you know, that is the big free agent unit that's all going to drop off. Potentially they could bring them back, but, you know, they've still got a little bit of depth to work with here. Um, who knows what might happen with the plan with Puck? Obviously the injuries have kind of been detrimental to him. He was supposed to be a top prospect for them. Um, but uh, kind of going to the hitter portion here, uh, you got to look at Sean Murphy as the A's best hitter this year, potentially. Obviously, we were talking about Chapman. Uh, he got hurt, and uh, so that led to Sean Murphy getting the chance and opportunity to kind of step up, and he was ranked in the top three in team average as well uh, on base percentage, slugging, and OPS as well. Yeah, he had a, a really good year out of the catcher position, and he was good in the postseason too. So uh, that was kind of the shining – bright guy for the offense. I mentioned Mark Canna. He was good as well. And like you said, Matt Chapman, good, but he gets injured. Overall, though, if we're going to move on and, and talk the hangover for this A's <laughs> team and you win the division, so it's not overly doomsday or anything. But um, even though they were fourth in the AL in fielding percentage, they finished just 25th in defensive runs saved. And it's kind of hard to find an exact science of a metric on the defensive side. But I mean, outside some of those hitters, also a lot of the notable guys for them really slumped. You have the Chapman injury. Um, they kind of continued the A's mantra, or not really a mantra, but how things have gone, where they do well in the regular season, and then they fall short in the playoffs. And I think this time you just chalk it up again because think about it. It's not like they lost to the Rays or the Yankees in the playoffs where you could have just said, okay, well, that makes sense. Like those teams were really good. They lose to an Astros team who had a losing record in the regular season, who they won the division over, who they went seven and three against in the regular season. Like it's, it's not quite as bad as how bad the twins have been in the playoffs, which I just feel bad for Minnesota. With Oh yeah. Pity, pity Minnesota big time. That's, that's a tough team to root for right now. It's been kind of next to that. Like they just haven't been able to get over the hump. They've had teams that have won high nineties, hundred win teams and they just haven't been able to win the pennant. So um, I, I think you do kind of question moving forward with Billy Bean possibly leaving the A's. Like, I, I think they'll probably still have most of the stuff in place. Like David Forst, the GM, he's kind of been with Billy Bean since 04. He's taken over as the GM since 2015. But when you look at all those guys who slumped, like Matt Olson hit 195. Marcus Simeon, who's a free agent, had a 679 OPS. Uh, by the way, league average is 740, so that's well below that. Loriano hit 213, Piscotti a 629 OPS, Chris Davis a 632 OPS. So like there was a lot going wrong for the A's hitting wise. It does kind of show me like how good that bullpen was that they seemingly kind of carried the load, so to speak. But I, I do think there are a lot of questions kind of circling around this team as we head into the offseason. Yeah, and, and you kind of mentioned the fact that the bullpen carried them. I'd also like to throw out, I mean, the starting pitching still to a degree did its job. And uh, it, I, you look back to last year, uh, the Oakland A's, I mean, this has been a consistently solid team that just, you know, you mentioned it. They just haven't been able to get over that hump. And Marcus Semyon was an MVP candidate last year. And so the 679 OPS, I mean, is he just going to revert back to his kind of old ways? I mean, we thought last year might have been somewhat of a fluke. It's kind of crazy that in a 60-game season, you know, we take all this and we look at the numbers and sometimes we'll say, yeah, this is, this is kind of what they are now. Or is this just a 60-game slump? What is that going to be? I think Marcus Semyon's the big one going into free agency, kind of wondering who is he? What, what kind of player is he? And so for the A's, they're going to have to figure that out if they want to bring him back. Uh, but 
looking at the free agent market, of course, there are notable free agents on this team. It's Mike Fires. Uh, we know the Houston Astros are going to go all over him. Uh, the Robbie Grossman, who is actually probably one of the most underrated players in all baseball. Uh, Liam Hendricks, who I still believe is probably the best closer in baseball. Tommy LaStella, they acquired him from the LA Angels. He definitely was serviceable for them at the top of their lineup. Jake Lamb didn't do a whole heck of a lot. Still kind of trying to make that comeback after his injuries in Arizona. Then you have Mike Miner, who came over from the Rangers. Then Yusmero Petit, who we were just talking about, that had a great season. Marcus Semyon, still kind of an identity unknown. And then Joaquin Soria, who was definitely serviceable as well for the A's. Now, Got great contributions from Grossman, Lestella, Lamb, as I kind of mentioned. Uh, still kind of trying to figure his way around there, but that was a nice, cheap pickup. Uh, but the losses of Hendricks, Petit, Soria, Semyon, I mean, who knows what that's going to do to this team if they don't bring those guys back. They retool pretty well. They generally work pretty well within their system. The A's kind of have this Tampa Bay Rays feel to them. I mean, they play the money ball aspect, and uh, so you just can never bet against the A's. But this is going to be very interesting to monitor, Derek. Uh, when you look forward to this you know, off season, what are the A's going to do? It's really hard to predict. I could see this going as, you know, they make a couple small moves and maybe it's enough with some other prospects they have coming up, whether uh, it's a guy like Robert Puasen or um, AJ Puck, I guess you can still consider him a prospect uh, <laughs> to where if they make a couple minor moves like they have in the past, like a guy like Robbie Grossman and he ends up being good, they can still contend. But also I could see this going into something where it's like, hey, we're going to reset this thing again, take a couple years, rebuild it back up and then turn back in because that's just kind of what they're stuck doing because they just don't really spend the money. And uh, they're 23rd in payroll this last year. So uh, I, I don't know. What do you think is the most logical route for them to do in the offseason? Yeah, looking at the offseason, I mean, <laughs> I think we're kind of on the same wavelength here in terms of the A's are just one of the most difficult teams in baseball to kind of figure out because they think so differently than the other 29 teams out there. Or I, I would say the Tampa Bay Rays are kind of in that avenue. So 28 other teams out there. Um, you mentioned their 23rd in payroll at 60.3 million. Uh, you know, the A's aren't going to try and spend up anything because quite frankly, they also didn't have a ton of revenue this year because of COVID uh, and they already didn't have enough fans to begin with. So it's going to be kind of hard for them to navigate that path and uh, keep in mind that free agency is going to be tough overall. Um, these contracts are probably going to be a little less than what you would see in recent years. Uh, Resigning Hendricks or bringing back Blake Trinan. Remember, Trinan going to L.A., but he was originally the stud closer for the A's. They seem to just churn these guys left and right. That would be interesting. The guy that I'm interested to watch for them, if the San Diego Padres – let Kirby Yates walk. The Oakland A's are the perfect team to go after a guy like Kirby Yates that still, I think, has plenty of potential to be the guy that he was and I still think is. Of course, the injuries, uh, it's something to keep in mind. But th that's a route I could see them taking. It's probably a slightly cheaper route than going Hendricks. Um, offensively, you got LaStella that's going to become a free agent. I think that they're going to try and bring him back. Jonathan VR is an interesting person to target. And Drelton Simmons, you and I talked about this a while ago. He seems like the perfect Oakland athletic. Uh, he could be a great fit there. Uh, he kind of makes a lot of sense. Remember at that position, Semyon was minus nine in defensive runs saved. And so Semyon uh, versus Simmons, I mean, that's going to be Simmons every day in defensive uh, works, if you will. He was he's 
the best defensive shortstop arguably in the league. Brad Miller makes sense. Howie Kendrick seems like the perfect Oakland athletic. Marwin Gonzalez, all, all these utility type players. And uh, if they want to just go crazy, go for Yasiel Puig. That just seems to make some sense uh, in the outfield. They could use at least a right fielder. Uh, as for pitching, they need a left-handed reliever badly. And so I look at the the relief out there. They're not going to spend high for Brad Hands. Uh, my guess is Aaron Loop will be a perfect target for them. Maybe Sean Doolittle making a return as well to Oakland? Yeah, I like those. I think those are uh, good plays for them. And you obviously have to keep in mind, which I think you did with those you know, they're not going to spend a ton of money. So I think those were good fits. All right, let's move on to the uh, team who finished second, but then beat them in the uh, ALDS. That would be the Houston Astros. Went 29-31, and 31, lost to the Rays in the ALCS, just a game out of the World Series. If you include their record with the postseason, they finished a game above 500 at 37-36. and 36. So I think if you went to the positives, the party for the Houston Astros, it was that they were just a game back in the World Series. I think you finally saw Kyle Tucker break out. Uh, Jordan Alvarez, after, you know, struggling to just get healthy in the season, did come back at the end. And they ended up first in the MLB in fielding percentage. They were 12th in the MLB in defensive runs saved. So overall, a, a solid defensive year for them. And I also think the five main starting pitchers were really good. Like, uh, you look at those five, especially after you lost Garrett Cole uh, to free agency, Justin Verlander to the injury. And out of the fivesome of Framber Valdez, Zach Granke, Lance McCullers, Christian Javier, and Jose Urquidy, they had a 3.64 ERA. So I think you have a lot to like moving forward there. And then you pair it with kind of those hitters with the potential of Tucker and Alvarez back for 2021. I think those are good signs for the Astros moving forward. Yeah, the loss of Justin Verlander is going to be detrimental, I think. But you, you just kind of hit the nail on the head right there. I mean, uh, the starting rotation's not dead and in fact also you got to look at the fact that they've got a bunch of prospects that are going to make their way up as well this has actually got a really good farm system um and so I, I think the Astros are in a pretty decent position considering that however you know let's go to the hangover overall the hitting kind of fell off this year uh you know we don't know if the mentality of this team, you know, changed, obviously, because of the distractions around them. Uh, they were in the middle of the pack, though, in the AL and runs, hits, home runs, steals, walks, average on base percentage and slugging. Um, but at the end of the day, it, they did have the least amount of strikeouts. Uh, the bullpen wasn't atrocious. It wasn't good either. And then, of course, we point back to Justin Verlander's injury. The pen had a 4-3-9 ERA. Uh, they gave up a ton of traffic. It was a 1-5-2 whip, Derek. That is not what you're looking for, uh, especially late in ball games. And, of course, the reliable relievers. I mean, maybe Ryan Presley was the only one, but he even dropped off a little bit from being, you know, the unstoppable setup man that he was for Roberto Osuna. Remember, Osuna was out. Uh, and so he had to take that role as the closer. Uh, and so his fastball and teams were hitting uh, 357 off of that. That's a ridiculously high rate. Um, and so they were actually also able to touch his curveball as well. Yeah, uh, just not a great year from the bullpen overall. Um, the ERA better than that whip. But yeah, that whip comes into it because it's, hey, you've got to strand some of these runners. And then those runs are going to the starters. Uh, a couple questions I do have with the Astros. Do you think they just peaked at the right time? Or do you think uh, if we would have had a longer season, they would have found themselves as a real contender to where they win 90 or so games and then their uh, movement into the ALCS wouldn't have been questioned as much? You know, I, I think that the distractions probably caught up with them early on in this thing. And so once they kind of buckled down, 
um, during the postseason. They probably collected themselves. They got a good manager with a great name um, that kind of stirred them in the right direction. <laughs> and uh, I think that that's the value of Dusty Baker. We all know that his managing of the arms is maybe not the best, but he's a player manager, and that's why a lot of people value him is because he can get his players back on track. And I think you kind of saw that during the playoffs. It, it was a new season. They had a new opportunity. And um, I think the real Astros were what we saw in the postseason. Um, it's going to be interesting because, of course, when they go to the free agency here, they're going to be losing some key pieces. We'll get to that in a moment. But um, I, I think that what we saw in the playoffs is more of what the real Astros were in 2020. I know that they had their struggles, uh, but this is still such a talented ball, team, ball club. And, um, you know, they, they've got a lot of potential, again, to continue this going forward. And my next question, uh, I don't know that either of these guys will be on the team when they're 40 because I think they're free agents in a year or two. Uh, who is going to be the better pitcher when they're 40, Zach Greinke or Justin Verlander? You know, I think Zach Greinke's probably got the durability to to do this thing. And just because of Verlander's injury, um, he's not too far away from 40 right now. And so I'm going to have to say Zach Greinke because Greinke's stuff is still just as good as it gets in the league. Uh, he doesn't look like he's slowing down at all. In fact, when he slows down, he seems to be better. He throws that EFIS pitch, and uh, that thing is crazy unless he's actually showing the hitter, which we saw in the playoffs that he decided to show he was throwing an EFIS. And, of course, that was taken to the seats for a three-run home run. So maybe not the best idea for Greinke to do that, uh, but I think Greinke will probably at age 40 – be the better pitcher than Verlander. And a lot of this is just based off the fact that I don't know how to trust Verlander's health at this point. All aboard the Zach Granke train. Love Zach Granke. Go. <laughs> uh, all right. What is your uh, kind of viewing of how the Astros could handle the uh, offseason? Yeah, they're notable free agents. I mean, you got to look at the outfield. That's, that's where they're going to struggle immensely. Uh, Michael Brantley, Josh Reddick, and of course the big one, George Springer. They're all free agents. That's their entire outfield outside of Kyle Tucker will occupy one of those positions in the outfield. On top of that, they're losing Chris Davinsky, and then they've got Roberto Osuna. Um, I don't assume that Osuna is coming back, but Wrighty's had a – You don't assume that Osuna is coming back? <laughs> I don't quite assume that Osuna is coming back. So I, I, I would assume that – they're going to try and bring George Springer back. That's kind of my guess. The righties had a 774 OPS against Astros pitchers, though. So if you're looking at the pitching side of things, uh, that was compared to just 680 on lefties. So someone who can help them get righties out is going to be very important. Um, so you look at the market, first of all, I don't think a lot of people realize this. Good teams do spend money. They're fifth in payroll, over $142 million, uh, but they still got room to spend. And so – uh, when you look at Springer, I think that's got to be the priority this offseason. Bring him back. He's one of the faces of their franchise. He's the one that kind of helped build from the ground up along with Jose Altuve. That's when this whole thing started with the Astros of having success at the plate. Uh, because remember back in the day, they were losing 100 games and uh, it was not pretty for them. So George Springer should be the priority. On top of that, though, uh, they're going to be looking for another outfield bat. That could include Brett Gardner, Yasiel Puig. Kevin Pillar is one that I think is definitely somebody they might look to monitor center field potentially if they decide not to put Kyle Tucker out there. Jock Peterson could play left field and take Brantley's place. And Adam Eaton, how about the guy that torched them in the World Series in 2019? If you can't beat him, bring him aboard. And so that would be a kind of an interesting move. And then the bullpen, you know, it's a young, young bullpen. I don't know necessarily how aggressive they're going to be in that department, but in the rotation, I think they could still use one more starter at least for a year because of the fact Justin Verlander is going to be out. So how about this, Derek? What about bringing back Charlie Morton again? 
maybe ending his career with the team that he won a World Series championship with. I could also see Corey Kluber being a fit as well. Maybe Cole Hamels, Rich Hill, kind of going that down that alley as well. Yeah, I like those picks a lot. And I think uh, as of recording today, there were some reports that uh, Michael Brantley and them were talking about a contract. No, that doesn't mean he's going to sign there. But I guess don't be surprised if by the time we hit end and uh, upload this podcast, if he is an Astro again. Uh, let's move on to the next team who finished third. No, it's not the Angels. No, it's not the Rangers. The Seattle Mariners got to third place in the division, 27-33. and 33. They exceeded expectations with the young team. I think that's part of the party, that maybe they were a little bit ahead of schedule. They had good speed. They led the AL in steals. They were third in fielding percentage, ninth in defensive runs saved. I think all that is attributed to the speed. Kyle Seeger had a nice bounce-back season. And then, uh, obviously, Kyle Lewis, who uh, we gave a cheers to for winning AL Rookie of the Year. Dylan Moore was also awesome for them. I think from the starting pitchers, too, they had some – not really sexy names, but solid starters. And to kind of go in depth on that, Evan White and Shed Long kind of struggled as rookies, but had flashes. White, though, won a gold glove. Uh, so did uh, J.P. Crawford, who started hot hitting the ball. When you combine some of those guys with who I previously mentioned with Lewis and Moore, Ty France was good in kind of less than 100 at-bats. And then you start thinking about some of the guys who were going to be coming up for them with Jared Kelenic and Julio Rodriguez. Uh, Jake Fraley is a highly rated prospect for them. He only had 29 plate appearances. He struggled, but that's such a small sample size to where I think you feel good about where the hitters are going moving forward. And then from the starters, you got a 4.41 ERA for the starters. So overall, that's about a quality start per game. And Marco Gonzalez isn't one of those names that's going to wow you. There was like an 88-mile-per-hour fastball, but he had a 3.1 ERA. He had a 3.32 FIP. His whip was under one. Like, he had a great season. I don't know how repeatable it's going to be from year to year uh, when you look at how batters hit his sinker 260 in 2019 versus 2020. Batters against his sinker were under 200. So you wonder if there's a little bit of regression to the mean. But overall, he's still solid. And you got kind of breakouts from, you know, I was surprised just the Sheffield, who was the guy they got from the Yankees, didn't end up getting any AL Rookie of the Year votes because he was really good as a young player. Taiwan Walker ended up being a good bounce back for them, which allowed them to trade him for assets. Uh, Yusei Kikuchi, his ERA didn't really show it, but the guy they brought over from, I forget if it was Japan or Korea, I believe it was Japan, he had a 3.3 FIP. And, like, if you look at his stuff, it just – was astounding how much better it was this year. His fastball rose over two miles per hour. He was averaging 95 miles per hour. He started mixing in a cutter. So I think overall, whether it was the starting pitching, whether it's the hitting or the expectations of certain guys coming up, I think you feel good about some of the talent that the Mariners are starting to discover. Right. And, and honestly, Derek, I think that this is one of the most exciting teams uh, to watch moving forward as well for all the reasons you gave right there. You mentioned Kellenick and also Rodriguez. Those are two top prospects that are going to be coming up next year. Uh, one of the players I absolutely love is Dylan Moore. That guy is going to be awesome to watch moving forward. He could play almost any position on the field. He's great defensively. His offense was superb. He's got speed. He might be one of the most underrated players that we saw in 2020. And then, yes, 
cheers to Kyle Lewis on uh, getting the rookie of the year. Um, it's been definitely something that I am excited to watch moving forward with this team. As for the hangover, though, you know, they were 11th in runs, 14th in home runs in the AL. They were 13th in average, 12th in on-base percentage, 14th in slugging, 14th in OPS. So definitely the offense, numbers-wise, maybe not what they're looking for. That's going to have to improve. I think that also comes with the youth and the fact that, you know, they had to trade Austin Nola. Trying to re-identify themselves was a little difficult. They actually made a close push, though, to the playoffs late in this thing. Um, but those numbers definitely need to improve if they want to make it to the playoffs come 2021. As for the pitching, they ranked 12th in ERA. 14th in uh, pitcher K's and the bullpen was not great, Derek. Uh, overall, they struggled to hit. Uh, it's the youth that'll have some struggling, you know, they're going to have to figure that out coming up. But uh, they had a little too many holes in their lineup when you had Lewis. And then, of course, you had Noah that was traded, Seeger, Moore, France. Uh, their OPS was actually higher than the league average. Everyone else, though, outside and below it, uh, below the rest of the Mariners lineup outside of those five, were hitting at 201. And as for the pitching, they actually, you know, as previously mentioned, had some solid starters with a bullpen. Complete mess. They had a 5.92 ERA. The whip was atrocious, kind of like what we talked about with Houston here. One five six whip. You can't let that many runners on per inning there. So, uh, when you look at this moving forward, it's still a pro work in progress for the Mariners, but you know they still got a good thing going just numerically right now. I don't think that this is exactly what they want to see uh, statistically uh, in 2020. They're going to have to improve those. Uh, but Derek, what do you you know looking forward? Who do you think might be their best reliever? Uh, whoever <laughs> they convert from a starter, who's one of their good young prospects. <laughs> there's not yeah. a good answer there. Um, there's it's not tough. a good answer there. And yeah, I mentioned like you found some talent, but there is still a long way to go. Like Evan White, he wins a gold glove. I think he hit for more power than you thought he would. Uh, Shed Long shows some good speed, but both Evan White and Shed Long hit under 200. So it's kind of finding that balancing act. I think the next thing they need to do is just have that growth from hitting, maybe bring some veterans in there to help both with the you know, the current year and also helping those guys grow and then finding that reliever talent because they found talent as starters. They've found talent in certain hitters. They have to find talent in the bullpen. And I think that's what you saw. The A's win the division. They have the dominant bullpen. If the Mariners can get that bullpen up, then maybe we're talking about something. So um, I guess moving forward into the off season and who knows what type of off season it'll be because Jerry Depoto is a madman with the trades. He kind of operates how I operate in fantasy baseball. He's made like <laughs> over a hundred trades since 2015. He is my fantasy baseball spirit animal, but it also you're kind of betting on if you think the Mariners are going to turn into a playoff team within the next couple of years, they haven't made the playoffs since 2001. So history has not been kind to them. But if they are going to go, I think there's kind of two different routes they can go here. They can kind of start to cash in as early as this year and maybe make some moves, maybe hope that the free agent losses potentially of the A's and the Astros and who knows what to think of the Angels and the Rangers could open up the division. Or they could say, you know, I still think we're another year or two away. Maybe we should just approach this offseason as getting guys who are rentals, who we can trade at the deadline if things don't go well and make sure we do not sign guys who are blocking young players opportunity to play. Which of those do you think is the best route for them to go? You know, I, looking at uh, the Mariners for the next, you know, five years and kind of everything that's going down, you mentioned that Jerry Depoto is kind of your fantasy spirit animal. Uh, that's the kind of guy that is going to help you moving forward. Um, 
to get your team back into the position that you want it to be. Uh, I think that the Mariners have a ton of youth. And uh, so you may not see nearly the same amount of free agent moves, but let's not forget this man also, you know, he went out to get Robbie Cano. There's still solid players out there. I think a guy like DJ LeMahieu might be interesting. Um, the notable free agents, there's not many big ones. Uh, you got D Gordon. Uh, I guess now we got to call him D strange Gordon. Uh, and then you got Carl Edwards jr. As well. Um, but so, yeah, he was their best reliever, but he only pitched five games. So right. not great. Right. That's, that's when you know that you got to work on that. And so uh, you look at their payroll right now. I mean, 28th in the payroll, that's, that's 53 million. They've got money to spend. Uh, they've got a lot of places that they could definitely improve. And so infield, left field, DH, that's kind of what I've got them down. Um, that's, that's three key positions that they got to work on there. Uh, Dylan Moore and Ty France can kind of roam around. You got Kellenic and also Rodriguez that are on their way up. So those will potentially be two outfield spots secured by the end of 2021. But I would love to see the Mariners go out there and just make a move for DJ LeMahieu. I feel like that would be such an awesome fit to have a veteran leader. He's 32 years old. Uh, this is a very young team. They need somebody to look up to. Uh, they've got plenty of guys that can kind of move around to make their way for LeMayhew to go into the lineup. But to have that secure piece in the middle there, I think that would be great. I would also love to see maybe Nelson Cruz as their DH. He's still in this league. He's still going. It uh, doesn't matter how old he is. He's still going to be in this thing. And so uh, one other guy that kind of seems to fit the Mariners mold, I don't know if he's going to go in that direction, but I think that if they went a Kike Hernandez route or maybe even Tommy LaStella, just getting another utility player and play kind of like the Tampa Bay Rays do um, and just kind of go matchup to matchup, that might make a little bit of sense, but I would love to see what they do in the rotation here. They need to figure out to get some sort of ace to pair with Marco Gonzalez. Um, they're not going to get Trevor Bauer, I don't think, but they might be in the market. Marcus Stroman is somebody that I could see the Mariners going after and saying, listen, this is going to be our number one guy. Well, Marco go as our lefty at number two. I could see that go down that route. They could take a chance on Corey Kluber, um, Jimmy Nelson. Remember Jimmy Nelson at one point was the ace of the Brewers. A couple injuries sidelined him. He was with the Dodgers. Didn't even get a chance to go up into the league. Uh, they may take a chance on him on a minor league deal. Charlie Morton could be a factor for almost any team, uh, but he could definitely fit for them. And then of course, for the bullpen, you got to improve that. You got to get a close. Brad Hand, Kirby Yates, Trevor Rosenthal, really doesn't matter at this point. Any of those guys, if they want to go cheaper, maybe Alex Colomay, Ken Giles, you could go Blake Trinan and bring him back into a closer role. Um, and so uh, they could also use a lefty reliever. And uh, you're going to hear me say this a lot, Loop. Aaron Loop is a great lefty reliever to have, uh, and I think that he could make a lot of sense. All right, on to the Los Angeles Angels. Pythagorean uh, formula actually had them as a better team than the Mariners. They only won 26 games, but they had them at 28. The Mariners, they had a 25. Let's start off with the good stuff. The party, they were top five in the AL in runs, hits, home runs, walks, average, OBP, slugging, and OPS. And individually, they had some good seasons from uh, some starting pitchers. I think all the hitting stats can kind of be summed up um, to say that they had a playoff level lineup. I mean, you have the star power with Mike Trout and Anthony Rendon. Shohei Otani had a rough season, but I think overall he's shown enough in a full season like 2019 where he is a really good hitter. And then you kind of have some uh, breakout seasons for guys who either had career years or might be on the verge of being really good hitters. Max Stassi had a really good year. Brian Goodwin, Jared Walsh. If they can get anything from a guy like Justin Upton or we'll see how much Joe Adele grows this next year or a guy they traded for with the Dodgers, Luis Renfigo, that's kind of a big plus for the hitting. And then in regards to the pitching, 
Andrew Heaney was basically a league average pitcher. That's kind of what he's been. He just consistently is around a four or five ERA. Dylan Bundy was awesome. He had a transformative season uh, with his pitch usage and you got pretty solid competent contributions from Griffin Canning and Jaime Berea. And overall those four guys combined for a 3.87 ERA. So a lot to like out of those things, but uh, what went wrong for the angels? (laughs) what went wrong a lot went wrong for the LA Angels it's nice to hear the silver linings that you had there Derek but let's be honest here for the hangover they're 13th in the MLB in ERA overall starters they had a 5-5-2 ERA despite solid numbers from of course Bundy Heaney Berea like you said Canning and that's because of Julio Tejeron he had an ERA over 10 uh, and uh, now he's a free agent so maybe that's uh, you know Addition by subtraction, uh, possibly, Derek. And the bullpen also had a 4-6-3 RA. They were minus 23 in defensive run saves, so their defense was incredibly poor in 60 games. That was the 27th rank in the MLB. Their bullpen really, though, saw a strong season by Mike Myers. Uh, Cam Bedrosian was solid in very limited appearances, of course. Then Noe Ramirez had an ERA of three, but... You know, after that, basically, it just kind of burned down. The rest of it was in flames. You had 101 innings of relief from Butchery, Pena as well, Milner, Barnes, and Hansa Robles, who also uh, at one point was pegged to be their closer. That resulted in a 6-3 RA. That is uh, – let me repeat that, a 6-3 ERA. You, that, you can't have that. I mean, that, that's, that's unbelievable. And there's just a few others with less appearances um, that just, I mean, had five, six, seven ERAs. You just can't have that. And for starting pitching, well, they didn't have any depth, and they don't have any depth currently as well. Teheron gave up 35 runs in 31 in the third innings pitch, Ugh. and that is just ugly, man. Yeah, I, I would, uh, you know, I would pour one out for anybody that, uh, <laughs> you know, projected that Teheron would have, you know, an ERA under nine because this is, that is pathetic, quite frankly. And so uh, we'll see if Teheron gets a job. They've, uh, they've got to get another starter. Actually, in my opinion, they've got to get two more starters. And they also have to develop way more depth. A uh, big problem for them is that their minor league system is rather weak. Uh, you mentioned Joe Adele. Uh, and then, obviously, Brandon Marsh as well is going to be an interesting one to watch uh, coming up. But overall, not a very strong minor league system. So, for Derek, you know, I, I got a couple questions for you. You know, the Angels haven't finished above 500 since 2015. They went 85 and 77 and missed the playoffs. Uh, only Trout playoff appearance was actually in 2014. They were swept in the first round, and uh, that team won 98 games. So they have the star power, but do they actually have the role players and the depth to be able to make it back to the playoffs? Uh, I, I don't think they do. Um, like you said, I mean, that's crazy. You get a 3.87 ERA from those first four starters, yet overall your starting pitchers end up with a 5.52 ERA. Like that just shows the lack of depth. And like you said, even those young guys you mentioned coming up the pipeline, Joe Adele, Brandon Marsh, those guys don't pitch. So um, I would be concerned that the lack of pitching depth, both in the bullpen and for starters will leave them out. And maybe the, you know, the natural decision to make in the off season to say, Hey, let's help with that. Let's go get Trevor Bauer. And I think that'd be a great move for them. And maybe that would change things a little bit for me because it does a couple things. It gives you a top of the rotation ACE and it also pushes everybody back to kind of help with that depth. And that would definitely help things for me, but also at the same point in time, I do wonder like in the back of my mind, are you almost better off instead of spending all that money on Trevor Bauer, maybe going out there and getting like two quality starters plus like a bullpen arm as opposed to getting Trevor Bauer? 
Well, you know, here's the thing about Trevor Bauer. He goes or he wants to go every fourth day. So theoretically, you could go for a Bauer and then pick up somebody, you know, that ain't going to cost you that much. Uh, but it is something to look at because well, let's take a look, Derek, at that offseason that they've got here. They're notable free agents, you know, Andrelton Simmons, Cam Bedrosian. You know, the last time Howie Kendrick was on the Angels was 2014 when they made the playoffs, and now he's a free agent. And he actually could kind of make some sense for the utility role. But uh, let, let's talk pitching, man, because this is where the problem is for the Angels, and it's been the problem. Um, getting a huge starting pitcher like Bauer would be massive for them. Uh, they have the money. You know, they are fourth in payroll, which is also kind of amazing. They finished in fourth place. They're fourth in payroll overall in the league, over $148 million committed in 2021. Uh, they're starting pitching depth there. Get ready for this. Ready? All right, one, you got Andrew Heaney. That's all right. Two, Dylan Bundy. Really solid season. Three, Griffin Canning. Four, awkward silence. They don't have a fourth starter. They do not have a fourth starter. It, it, is, it is remarkable to me. If you go to their website right now, they show three starting pitchers. And uh, you look around, and there's nobody in their farm that can even pull that out. So well, Maybe that's a sign. You said Trevor Bauer wants to go every fourth day. Maybe they know they're getting Trevor Bauer, and so they're just like, okay, well, we only need three other starting pitchers. That's what we're going to list. We know we're getting Bauer. They're, they're leading us on to believe they're getting Trevor Bauer. This is the hint we were looking for. I guess Derek's right. I mean, we can compare Trevor Bauer to the LA Angels. Uh, but yeah, uh, to go off Derek's point earlier on that, you know, if they don't go the Bauer route, well, who are their other options? Maybe Marcus Stroman. Uh, Jake Odorizzi, I think, is a decent fit. You know, there are players that just look like LA Angels. And for whatever reason to me, John Lester looks like an LA Angel. Would you agree with that? Like, he looks like a guy that would be in an LA Angels hat. I don't know why. I think there might be something to that. Maybe it's it's the me envisioning Dan Heron with the Angels and just thinking of like a pitcher who's a little past his prime, who's really good, who goes over to the Angels. I like that. And it could be Charlie Morton too to kind of go off that beat. I mean, maybe Mike Miner. You know, one thing about Mike Miner that I don't think a lot of people realize, he definitely didn't have the season that he was hoping for last year, but the man still eats innings. And man, do the Angels need that. And so possibly a, a match with Mike Miner makes a lot of sense. I don't know if I love the idea of the fact that he would be pitching for, what, his third AL West team. And so there's a lot of familiarity there. Um, and you saw kind of with Madison Bumgarner, the moment that you switch to another team within the division, that may not necessarily work out as well as you would hope. Mike Miner going to the A's wasn't that great. Uh, and so I, I don't know success-wise for Miner how that would work, but the Angels need a guy that can eat innings. That could definitely be potential. Maybe Alex Wood crosses uh, the five freeway and goes over to L.A. Uh, and possibly Rich Hill. Maybe Kevin Gosman as well. If he doesn't take that qualifying offer, you know, I, I don't think he will. So that's just kind of my thoughts right now. But the Angels need at least one. And if they don't get Trevor Bauer, then they definitely need two starters because literally they only have three at the moment. All right, let's get to our last one in the AL West. And this one will be a little quicker because we'll have Robbie Fueling on here in a second. And he'll kind of go more in depth on the Rangers with us. But just 22 and 38 for Texas. Pythagorean had him as one win even worse than that at 21 wins. If you're looking for the uh, bright spots, they were second in the AL in steals. Lance Lynn and Jonathan Hernandez were really good as pitchers. One a starter, one a reliever. Tenth in the MLB in defensive runs saved. So pretty good there. And I think maybe most importantly, the fact that they got the second pick in what seems to be a pretty good 2021 draft, and they only had to suffer through 60 games to do it. So uh, that's a good sign there. But um, I think you found out from this team, they had pretty good speed throughout that, that helped lead to the steals and the defensive prowess. 
uh, might have found something in Isaiah Kiner Falefa. Didn't really have any power, but the other stuff did pretty well in terms of like average and stealing bases and such. Lance Lynn obviously had a fantastic season. He was Cy Young worthy kind of to start the year. Actually, going into his last start, he had a 2.5 ERA, but then he gave up nine earned runs and five and two thirds. So that balloons what it ends up as, but still really good season. And then Jonathan Hernandez, who I think was one of the more underrated bullpen arms in the entire MLB because he played on a bad team. But like, if you go look at his analytics, like in terms of expected on base average or expected ERA, expected slugging percentage, like he's in the 93rd or 94th percentile in all of those. He's in the 98th percentile in fastball velocity and he's throwing his fastball with movement. It is technically classified as a sinker, um, but he's throwing a sinker, a slider, a changeup that are all nasty pitches. I really like this Jonathan Hernandez guy, and uh, I think that that might be their closer um, of the future, so to speak. But obviously a lot more went wrong than went right with the Rangers. No kidding. No yeah. kidding. It, it, it was – you know, I covered the Texas Rangers, Derek, and uh, the, the, the vibes around the organization right now, it's <laughs> – not a lot's looking up right now because they basically have one top prospect uh, in Josh Young and, you know, the rest of it. I mean, you can just kind of look at the stats. I, I want to go out that Jonathan Hernandez – comment real quickly uh you know i was there for their you know little early preseason warm-ups and uh he struck out the side on nine pitches he technically had an immaculate inning and so kind of knew that jonathan hernandez had this stuff uh he eventually i think is going to actually be the closer but we'll talk about who they project right now to be the closer in just a second the hangover though they were dead last in the al and hits runs average on base percentage slugging and ops oh. all really exciting stuff that's what's going to build a top a very top tier mlb team to say the least is when you're finishing dead last in every one of the most important categories in- incredibly disappointing uh to be honest and so uh you know you look at the offense for the rangers that wasn't pretty you might argue that it was even uglier outside of Lance Lynn on the pitching side because they were 11th in the ERA. And of course you had the injuries. And so that included Jeff Mathis, Renato Dorr. You mentioned Joey Gatlow, who is supposed to be their savior. Uh, he did win a gold glove, by the way, still kind of amazed by that. Um, I, I don't really want to comment too much on that, but I was very surprised to see that Kiner Falefa on the other hand, very well-deserved. That is an underrated player. Uh, excited to see that he might actually be a budding, you know, maybe not star, but a, a definitely somebody that can kind of lead them in the right direction. Elvis Andrews was hurt though. Willie Calhoun, uh, the average OPS across the MLB this year was 740. The Rangers did not have a single player with enough at bats to qualify who finished above that. And that the, you know, you look at the top of that, it was Shinsu Chu. Uh, he was 37 years old. He's now a free agent. He was at 723, Derek. So not exactly oh, what boy. you're looking for. Yeah, not pretty. And then back to the pitching side of things, you know, outside of Lance Lynn, Kyle Cody in five starts was probably their best starter. Uh, Try and figure out who that is. More of an opener than anything else for them. And following those two, the best starters ERA was Kyle Gibson with a 5-3-5 ERA. It didn't help with Corey Kluber's injury. He was supposed to be maybe the ace of the staff. Mike Miner struggled. We talked about that. And the pen, Hernandez was mentioned. Rafael Montero, he's their projected closer at this time. He was okay. Um, and so I guess Derek, just kind of looking at it real quickly, uh, cause Robbie will get into this more. So, uh, just their notable free agents, uh, Shinsu Chu and Corey Kluber, um, you know, they got really hit hard by righties, uh, 776 OPS versus, uh, the 708 with the lefties. And so they may need some more help from guys who can get them out of those jams. And then, um, but Trevor Bauer essentially kind of makes sense for every team in the MLB. If he's willing to take a one-year deal, maybe the Rangers do that and trying to dish him at the deadline. Who knows? Um, they've had four straight seasons below 500 and, uh, as competitive as they were in 2019, 
mean, they still went 78 and 84. Uh, I think if they do, you know, leave the playoffs uh, at eight teams, maybe they try to win, but otherwise uh, they probably could have been a seller um, that year or this year. And so not making any big moves. Uh, the big one being Lance Lynn, not trading Lance Lynn. That could really be detrimental to them because, as I mentioned, Josh Young is the one guy truly coming up in that system. You could argue Sam Huff as well, the catcher, but they don't have a lot of young players. And also, they don't have a lot of young players that are inexpensive. I don't know how much there's going to be had with the Rangers. It sounds like uh, stuff coming from that front office is that they are going to be a seller, which I think is probably the right move. All right, let's uh, get into our guest interview. Robbie Fueling is going to join us here. All right. Yes. Welcome, Robbie Fueling. Uh, Robbie is, of course, uh, our first guest that we've ever had on Booze and Baseball. And so, Robbie, just to kind of break down who he is, first of all, he went to TCU, much like myself, uh, best school in the world, go Frogs. Uh, on top of that, Robbie's first job was at KEZI in Eugene, Oregon. So he reported on the Oregon Ducks, uh, kind of an awesome job, a first gig out of college. And then Robbie just made a massive jump as well. Recently, he is moving to to Dallas. In fact, he's now in Dallas working at a Spectrum News station out there. He is a sports reporter on top of that. And so, Robbie, one of the best, uh, I guess, things that you had a chance to kind of work on here, you went to the World Series, man, uh, first couple weeks job uh, in Dallas. I mean, how awesome was that for you? Great intro. Thank you, Dusty. Glad to be here on the podcast. World Series, I was telling my family and friends this, probably the best work experience just experience in general, really, that I've, I've had in my life. It was like work-related. It was like one of the coolest things to cover. And just being from Los Angeles, just like you are, kind of like the California, Southern California, L.A. area, it's just even cooler to cover uh, a team you just grow up watching. Now, you're wearing a Dodgers jacket, so I guess we, we can kind of figure out the, the side that you're on in terms of uh, what happened in the World Series. You mentioned you're from L.A., and on top of that, you also have a Coors Light sign in the background. Uh, might I ask you, Robbie, what are you drinking at this hour? I got the Coors Light Neon sign here and appropriately have the best premium light beer there is. I'm going to crack that open for you guys. And are you sponsored by Coors Light? What's going on here? I wish... If, if Coors Light's listening to this podcast, I would love to be sponsored by them. Always keep the mountains blue in my household. So cheers, guys. Cheers, my friend. Welcome to the podcast. We're very excited to have you. Uh, Derek, why don't you kick this thing off for us? All right. So uh, I guess first things first, you were at the World Series. What were kind of your biggest takeaways from everything that went down? And, and how was the, you know, beyond the on the diamond action, how was kind of the environment surrounding the game, both in and out of the stadium? Well, you know, despite it being, you know, COVID restricted, I thought it was a pretty good environment for a World Series baseball game. I've never been to the World Series, let, let alone a fan and as a reporter. So just kind of being in a new Globe Life stadium and seeing, you know, 11,000 fans cheering for both teams, I thought was pretty cool. And I thought it was kind of one-sided, really. It was like 95-5 Dodger fans. It was it was it was just such such a great experience, and my, like my biggest takeaway was for obviously all all the players who have been in that system for such a long time, but mainly for Kershaw. You know, he's gotten so much heat and basically got a monkey off of his back for winning that game five and just kind of like sealing a deal for the Dodgers um, down the road. So it was a big win for him, big win for the organization, and big win for LA. 
Yeah, you know, I kind of want to go off that Kershaw topic because on top of that, Robbie, you have a personal connection to Clayton Kershaw. You know, one of your first stories you ever did, if I'm not mistaken, for Spectrum News in Dallas, you actually had a chance to interview somebody very close and personal with Clayton Kershaw. How about his former high school baseball coach from Highland Park? How cool was that experience? Those, and then, and Dustin, you hit it on the head right there because that was, I think, my fourth story at Spectrum News. And, you know, we had the World Series coverage. They said, hey, find something that is localized. And I'm like, well, Clint Kershaw went to high school down the road at Highland Park. And we all know he's the baddest, nastiest lefty in baseball. But what was he like at 17, you know? So I was like, okay, let's hit up Luke Kennedy, his high school head coach, and see what he was about. So I talked to him on the phone for probably like an hour and made a package out of that. So I got to get some insight background to Clayton Kershaw's uh, high school days I think the the funniest thing that like Luke Lou is telling me is like he's telling me all these stories about Clayton so he obviously had that 15 strikeout game in high school so he struck out literally every single person in five innings they mercyed the other team and he literally had the perfect game by striking out 15 in a row I thought that was really interesting and then he was kind of like talking about how he had a lot of baby fat as a kid and going in <laughs> as a freshman, he was the center for their high school football team. He was just like kind of a, a kind of a big kid. Hadn't really grown into his body yet. And, and, you know, Luke Kennedy was kind of sitting there like, you know, that's kind of weird for, he, he wants to be a pitcher, but he's the center for the football team. I don't know <laughs> how I feel about that, but then obviously he grew into the phenom he is today. And it was just, it was just cool talking to him and getting some insight on like how he was as a kid. We also know who he's snapping the ball to. That was Matthew Stafford on the other end. So uh, as if the, the news hasn't covered that enough, Matthew Stafford and Wait, Clayton what? Kershaw. Yeah, right. <laughs> shocking, <laughs> shocking development at this time. Matthew Stafford and Clayton Kershaw at the same high school, both teammates also on the football field and the baseball field. What a, what a cool story that is. Robbie, coming back to DFW. Uh, after your glorious days uh, in the frog skin, you know, seeing two completely different teams playing at a brand new stadium. I mean, what a weird experience that is. Uh, what was that like for you? It was just special. I, I mean, I don't know. I don't really know how to describe it. Like, cause when I went to that first game, when I went to game five, Dusty, that was my first world series game. I went to game five and then game six, but game five was my first like baseball game that I went to in like two years because uh, when I was in Eugene Oregon with the ABC affiliate up there I never had a chance to come back in the summer and go to Dodger Stadium get a couple Dodger dogs with friends and, and watch a game so like that was my first time like seeing the team that I watch on TV almost every night in person so it was just special to see them on the field and kind of like take notes and then let alone cover you know the Dodgers and Clayton Kershaw's connection to the DFW area um, and then on top of that, when I was covering game six, I was just kind of walking around, going back to the press area, ran into these guys that were kind of like, yeah, like yelling in my ear saying, go Dodgers, go Dodgers. Sure enough, it's Corey Seager's entourage that was just like <laughs> walking around and they were like, Hey, like, what do you, I was like, like, what are you, what are you guys doing here? Like, where are you from? We're from North Carolina. What? Like, how are you a Dodger fan? You're from North Carolina oh, we're part of Corey Seager's like high school friend group. I'm like, no way. So I like followed them to their seats and I interviewed them. I'm like, okay, like give me the background, show me the pictures. These kids were like on their phone, show me the pictures of like them at prom, them 
at like Halloween parties, elementary school functions. It was just, it was just so funny. So like I got to cover that aspect too. And, and that's part of the job that I have at Spectrum where it's like not always the X's and O's and the highlights. It's like kind of like these featurey stories that, you know, ESPN does and Tom Rinaldi does so well uh, for the ship. Um, just growing up in the LA area, how cool is it to see the hometown team actually win it? It was, it, it was the best because Dusty, I think you know this as well as I do. When we were growing up, there's, we have, we have the Lakers, we have, we have uh, the, the Kings, but in terms of like football team and baseball, which are my two favorite sports, never had an NFL team. Rams moved when I was like a freshman in college, didn't really connect with them. I, I really still don't have a favorite NFL team. I just love players. But the Dodgers were always, always, always like my favorite team, had season tickets with my family, went to, you know, 20 plus games over the summer as a kid. I remember my mom taking me out of school in fifth grade, t taking me out at lunch just to go to opening day. We, we would go to all the bobblehead ga uh, games. And I have like a stack I'll show you right here. Just like all my bobbleheads, just like on my mantle right here. Okay, what's, you, what's the best bobblehead you got right there? So my favorite one is the Eric Gagne one because it has like the glasses. Game over. And he was one of my favorite pitchers growing up as a kid. But then you have like like Brian Wilson with like the beard. Like the details on this bobblehead are like crazy. Derek will relate to that immensely. Derek, uh, thoughts on Brian Wilson in that? Yeah, fear the beard. Fear the beard, man. <laughs> but uh, I think Derek's going to, you know, I think he's heard enough Dodger talk. So now let's kind of turn the attention to uh, the other direction. Now what you're going to be covering, Derek, take it away, my friend. Yeah, I guess uh, coming into the Dallas area, just getting around there, I mean, have you had the chance to kind of get acquainted with the drop-off from what it's like to watch the Dodgers to watching the Rangers right now? I was, I was just kind of like brushing up on my Rangers stuff, like coming here and getting the job. I remember when I got the job at Spectrum uh, during the interview process, I did like, like a full page of notes on each professional team just so like I could be prepared for like questions. Rangers – you know, I had to really brush up on my Rangers stuff because I, I was kind of lost because I've been so, you know, focused on the Dodgers winning a World Series. Now that that's over, I'm going to, for this next season, really get acquainted with them and, and the, my coverage with that team. Do you have kind but, of a, an idea of what, uh, I guess, best case scenario for the Rangers could be for this upcoming season? And, and I don't mean necessarily in terms of specifics with like this player doing that, but in terms of what, the direction of the team could be? Yeah, I mean, last place in the AL West this season. I, I know it was a shortened season, but they, they really played like the last place team, if I'm being honest. Um, I think, like, if you want to improve that team, you know, pitching has to improve. And I, like, kind of did the math earlier today, and it was, like, the starting six pitchers in their rotation had an ERA of, like, 5.1. I mean, what, what bats are we working with, you know, for this Texas Rangers team? Is there anything there that's, you know, of substance? Uh, what's that going to be moving forward? Uh, Maybe the best case scenario in terms of the offensive side of the ball. What, what do you kind of see in that? Yeah, it's like, well, how many guys hit over 200? Maybe, maybe a handful? You know, you look at what happened this trade deadline, Robbie. Um, they had the chance to deal Lance Lynn, potentially to the L.A. Dodgers, actually, at one point. They were super close at a deal. Couldn't get it done at the deadline. Um, 
obviously he's still a top trade chip, but did they miss that opportunity? Do you think they should trade him this off season? Uh, should they trade Joey Gallo as well? I mean, you know, you, you said you were kind of brushing up on some of these Rangers players. It's kind of sad that, you know, we have to do that because of the fact that this team just simply doesn't have the names and, you know, the reputation of being able to go out there and uh, put a quality product on the field. So what are your thoughts on specifically, you know, those two players? Well, a great point, Dusty, because you look at like most MLB teams, you, you always have like one star player that you could be like, that's the guy. Like Padres, they were nothing a couple years ago. And then they got Fernando Tatis Jr. And it's like, okay, wow. Okay. That guy is the person to watch. When you look at the Texas Rangers and there's not that kind of that it factor where they have, I mean, I know there, there weren't seats to be put in the stands, but for next year, for people that want to go to the games, it's like, who are they going to watch? Who's going to hit home runs and who's going to, you know, be throwing the rock on the mound. It's like, I think to answer your question, I think they should keep Joey Gallo, but maybe get like a, a big name like Trevor Bauer or someone to fill those seats and kind of make people watch the Rangers and get more consistency on both sides of the ball. I think we should move on to our next segment. Kind of get your key ready, get your beer ready. <laughs> Let's shotgun. All right. So first up, here's our shotgun segment. Great segment name. I love that. <laughs> All right. We will go in order. Uh, Dusty, you can give your first response, then Robbie, then I'll give mine, and then we'll go to the next question. Trevor Bauer signs with blank. The LA Angels. And uh, we talked about this earlier on. You know, the Angels' pitching depth is pathetic. Uh, they're willing to spend money on big contracts. He's probably going to ask for a one year deal. I'm going to say Trevor Bauer on the shotgun signs with the LA Angels. You took my answer because it, he looks good in red. And I think he would fit in really nicely in Los Angeles. I think that would be a place where his personality would shine. I think he would get a lot of prime time, like air there. And, and he's just kind of a showboat guy to begin with. So I think L.A. would be a perfect fit for him. Plus, he'd get a lot of money. I'm going to go with the San Diego Padres. They're kind of in that win now at this point. They have the young guys coming up. They could use another starting pitcher after having all those guys get injured in the postseason. That would be a dynamite pitching rotation if you had Trevor Bauer, Mike Clevenger, Denelson Lamette, uh, Chris Paddock, and then Mackenzie Gore coming up at the back end. Like That would be maybe the best five-man starting rotation in the MLB. And also keep in mind, Trevor Bauer, uh, I mean, this goes with the Angels as well, but he uh, is from Southern California. And I think Mike Clevenger is, if not his best friend, he's like one of his best friends. So uh, I'll go with the Padres there. Every year, it seems like there's an off-season darling. I think last year, you'd probably say either the Reds or the White Sox were it. Who is the off-season darling in 2021? I wanted to say the Seattle Mariners in this, but the reality is uh, we're just going to see the youth kind of take over there. Um, so I'm going to have to pick uh, the New York Mets in this one. And that's just because you have new ownership. Uh, and on top of that, you got to expect that there's going to be a big splash. And, uh, you know, I'm not going to get into that just yet. Uh, you may hear about who I think they're going to be getting in just a little bit. But the New York Mets, I think, are going to be that darling. Uh, remember, Noah Syndergaard was also out, and uh, Jacob deGrom is as good as any pitcher in baseball. So, uh, New York Mets is my answer. I would have to say the Angels. Well, and you also mentioned Trevor Bauer uh, going to the LA Angels. So, that would just be another flashy pick right there, right? Another flashy pick. And then they would have uh... – Shohei Otani, Mike Trout, Pujols, which is – he's old, washed up, but he's still a big name. And then Trevor Bauer, be pretty cool. 
Yep, they have won the offseason before, so I think that's that's a good one. I'll uh, go a little bit different. I'm going to go the Toronto Blue Jays. They were the first team to sign somebody. That was Robbie Ray. They gave him $8 million. I think they're kind of in a place where they're saying, hey, uh, we could maybe pounce on something here. The Orioles and the Red Sox, we feel like we're better than them. Um, the Yankees and Rays are in front of us, so we need to make some moves to get there. We have some of our young guys like Vladdy Jr. and Bo Bichette who look good, and then you have some breakout seasons like Teoscar Hernandez uh, to where they could make a couple other big splashes. I don't think it'll be as much spending as a team like necessarily the Mets or the Angels, but I think they'll make enough moves to where people will be talking about them with the offseason. The Red Sox brought back Alex Cora. That move is blank. That move is preposterous. I think that it is absolutely unbelievable. Uh, you know, the move of the Red Sox going for Alex Cora is the same thing as Claire in The Bachelorette going for Dale. Um, basically, in their mind this entire time, all they were thinking about was Alex Cora, and Claire was just thinking about Dale. And so, realistically, uh, I, I can't believe that they're just going to forgive uh, and forget. Uh, it's kind of shocking to me. Uh, but – you know, if you're in love, you're in love. And so, of course, Claire's in love with Dale. And uh, somehow she, uh, she and him are engaged after, what, two weeks of knowing each other. And so after a year of knowing each other, Alex Cora and the Red Sox, they're back together. So you can just call this another beautiful bachelorette story that is the Boston Red Sox. Just the fact, the fact Dusty, that the Astros never got a chance to be, like, properly booed. <laughs> it's, it's just d- – It'll just- come. I hope because I remember I know this is shotguns, so we gotta go quick, but like I know I remember they had like the Angel game and like there was so many Dodger fans that bought out those Angel tickets um just to boo the Astros. So <laughs> I was ugh. Um I agree with you. Move on. Derek. <laughs> I'm gonna say good ish. Um I think it's good. A lot of their players were saying like we want him back, so that's good. Also, he seems to be a good manager, but also not great because of the scrutiny stuff and uh I love how the, the Red Sox pretty much just got off like scot-free in comparison to like the Astros um, because they that didn't have true. the That's obvious – yeah, they didn't have the obvious like trash can banging, so it wasn't oh. as big of a deal. But like Alex Cora was with the Astros team that did that, so just kind of funny there. Blank should trade for Francisco Lindor. I think Lindor goes to the Mets, but I think the team that should trade for Lindor, the Miami Marlins, and here's my reason why. You had the greatest shortstop probably in our generation, at least, uh, you know, a lot of people are going to argue that in Derek Jeter, right? And uh, he's now got that ownership group. I would say shortstop's probably the most important position, the most premium position in all of baseball. Well, the Marlins right now have Miguel Rojas, who actually had a decent year. But if the Marlins, who I think can compete and get back to the playoffs yet again, if they want to do that, yes, that move for Starling Marte was great, but they need to have one more name and somebody that can be a leadoff hitter in that lineup. How about Lindor? They have the young pieces on top of that. I think that the Marlins are quietly going to be sneaky this offseason. Uh, and uh, they were actually one of my choices potentially to be a darling this offseason, but if they can get Lindor, they definitely will be. And also, he would just look so good in Miami. I don't know why, but he just looks like he would be a Miami Marlin. Uh, we talked about, you know, how John Lester looks like an uh, L.A. Angel. Lindor looks like he would be a Miami Marlin. I'm going to go Pacific Northwest, Mariners, pick up some heat in, <laughs> in the middle I like field. Um, I think he would fit in well because, like, like you said, Dusty, like, shortstop is the most important position in baseball, uh, arguably behind behind the pitcher but 
Yeah, I'm gonna go. I'm gonna go Mariners. And the weakness, of course, J.P. Crawford's got a great glove, but the the bat is certainly not there. And the Mariners do have young guys. I'm gonna throw kind of a weird one. The Reds. Um, they already made a trade with the uh, Indians a year or two ago when they got Trevor Bauer and worked out pretty well. At least who knows what's gonna happen in free agency, but. You look at that lineup, they have like a lot of outfield depth. Maybe they could use some of that to give away in a trade with Cleveland. And I think that would be maybe the missing piece in that lineup. I really like what Francisco Lindor would bring to them. And when you look at the NL Central, uh, we'll get to that preview a couple weeks down the road, but like it looks like it's pretty wide open. Like the Cubs are the team that's kind of the incumbent, but I mean, they've got a lot of guys who are starting to age and who knows how much they're going to invest in continuing to go with that core. I think it could be a time for Cincinnati to strike. You saw in the postseason they could have used an extra uh, batter. They just couldn't score runs. And if they could go out and maybe resign Trevor Bauer, even if they can't, Hey, maybe push your chips in, go get Francisco Lindor. And especially if you're able to re-sign him to a long extension and keep him in the same state that he was previously at, that would be pretty cool and a big win for uh, the Cincinnati Reds. Uh, so you guys are Dodgers fans. <laughs> also, you were at the World Series in Arlington. I don't know if you guys split one of those Texas Rangers boomstick hot dogs, if you guys even know what I'm talking about. <laughs> yeah, I know what you're talking about. You should have done okay. that, Robbie. That was a huge mistake. What are we thinking? What's better, Dodger dogs or the Texas Rangers boomstick? Okay, I mean y- – I, I can't speak on behalf of Robbie, but I will be saying Dodger dogs. However, I've had the boomstick once and it is delicious, but the end result is not great. And Did you so eat the whole that, thing by yourself? Um, I can neither confirm nor deny. Uh, it was odd. Oh yeah. It, I mean, it's $27 and uh, I can't say that that was the best well spent 27 bucks of my life. I'm, I'm for sure going to go Dodger dogs. Dusty and I were talking about this when we were, up in the press box, I would I would have literally paid fifty dollars for one Dodger dog just <laughs> series at Globe Life. That's how much I love Dodger dogs. I actually, my family actually buys the Farmer John's hot dogs in the little cases, and we try to make our own sometimes, like during the off season when we we don't have Dodger games to go to. That but is the awesome. Rangers Stadium and, and and the Dallas Cowboys have some crazy food, just like. The, the menu items are just off the chart. I, I haven't had the boomstick, but that's what I would go with. Hey, more, more value for your <laughs> buck. You're getting so much on there. Derek, what's the go-to food item at – It's Oracle now, right? Oh, what? It seems yeah, like it changes whatever. every year. It just it switched over year. like a year ago. Um, yeah. So it depends what you're looking for. If you're willing to spend the money, it's like 19 20 bucks. They have this crab sandwich. You can go to it out in center field. And it's on sourdough bread. It's on this long roll of sourdough. It's like, I don't know what they put on there, but it's delicious if you love crabs. So that would be kind of the go-to, I would say. And then beyond that, uh, if you're in the mood for some ice cream, they have the Ghirardelli Sundays. Those are always great. I I, I do have to say, uh, going to San Francisco Stadium, probably one of the best smelling stadiums I've ever been to. Maybe we'll do a list at some point in a future episode of the top 10 best smelling stadiums, and you can give that. Absolutely. I'm, I'm on board on that. All right, the last one I have for shotgun. Um, I want to pick a either type of alcohol or an alcohol-related thing, event, whatever, and compare it to all the five ALS teams since today was our ALS preview. I'll kind of get us started. I'll give the uh, Oakland A's. The Oakland A's are Keystone Light 
or Natty Light, either way, whichever you prefer. It can get the job done depending on what you're trying to accomplish. It's a cheap price and you can get where you need to go. But at the end of the day, it's not going to be the best option and it's not going to be as great as some other options. But for the cost, if you are in that right mood, uh, Keystone Light is the A's. For the Seattle Mariners purposes, um, you know, that's a relatively young team. And when you look at it, you know, when you're young, you're going to go for the most aggressive alcohol. And uh, that doesn't necessarily mean it's going to end up a good thing. So I'm going to say absinthe because absinthe (laughs) might end up becoming a disaster. But in the moment, it feels like a great decision. And so uh, the Mariners, they're young, you know, and it seems like a great, great team that's going to be, you know, growing over time. But, uh, you know, after initially seeing what we saw, you know, it kind of fell apart. And that's what happens with absinthe. The Astros, because they have a lot of talent, I'm going to give them like a Dallas blonde. That's just like a like, and, and a Dallas blonde when you get it off um, off the tap. Off the tap, it's nice cold mug too. But it's a Dallas blonde that's been sitting there for like three hours, <laughs> and someone puts in like a couple cigarette butts inside the beer because they got a lot of talent. It's a good beer, but they're just a bunch of scumbags. So you put a couple cigarette butts inside the beer. That is what the Astros are. <laughs> Do you have one for the Rangers? Rangers? Rangers would be like, <sighs> I'm going to have to just get like, you know, an, a natty ice, like out of a, out of a cooler, like at a tailgate at a TCU game. At a trough, out of a trough, maybe. Like, Hey, we're having fun. Like we we're going to these Rangers games. There's, you know, hope. For a, for a new season next year, but, you know, I'm just going to get a beer at the tailgate because there's nothing else to offer. Yeah, it's not a developed uh, taste buds yet, so to speak, for the Rangers. So I think that's a good one. The only one we have left is the Angels. I'll throw one out there. Uh, Goldschlager. It looks pretty, but is anyone, like, ever in their moment of truth, in your moment of clutch when you're like, I need a drink, I need this now. Has anybody ever said, I need Goldschlager? That is like the Angels. I'll throw one out for the Angels, too. Um, You know, on paper, the Angels, I mean, they've got the best player in baseball, right? And uh, so you look at, you know, the label, and I would say Maker's Mart is probably one of my absolute go-tos on that because it looks great. You know, and it it doesn't taste bad, but it's not the first thing. Kind of going off Derek's point, is that the first thing I'm going to say, man, I really want Maker's, you know? There's a lot of different avenues that can kind of go down. Um, the Angels spend a lot of money. Makers is kind of expensive, not going to lie. And also, it, I mean, it gets the job done, but it's not great. Uh, it's not the best experience of my life. So, yeah, I'm going to throw Makers out there. All right. Well, uh, that's our shotgun segment. Robbie, thank you for the time. Congratulations. We'll do a cheers for you on your new position in uh, Dallas. Always welcome to come on the podcast and uh, drink and talk baseball with us. We appreciate it. Appreciate it, guys. This is fun. You guys have a great podcast and a great, like, kind of back and forth before and a great idea. I mean, who doesn't love to drink and talk baseball? So I think you guys are doing a great job. Always a pleasure talking to you both and have me on anytime. And I mean that. All right, Derek. And so some closing thoughts for you, uh, I would just say, and for our listeners as well. Um, I would keep the eyes on Francisco Lindor. I think that market's going to pick up pretty quickly here over the next couple days. 
Um, like I had kind of mentioned throughout the show, I think the New York Mets are going to be incredibly involved in that aspect. And so uh, we'll kind of see what happens with Lindor and also keep an eye on Nolan Arenado. I, I'm curious to see if the Rockies consider possibly throwing him on the trade block as well. And then one more and probably the most important thing to kind of cover here at this time. You know, I've had this drink, uh, my Clayton Kershaw's Wicked Curve drink. And so by the way, it was absolutely incredible. I loved it. Uh, but I had to rest this on something. And so uh, it wasn't just any other coaster in the world. I had one of the coolest coasters made for me. Uh, this is by Man Cave Merch. So take a look at some of these right here. Uh, they were obviously customized based off of the Los Angeles Dodgers because that's my team. Uh, we got a couple here going on. Um, my favorite one personally is actually the team that I grew up watching that kind of started my Dodgers fandom, which was the 2006 LA Dodgers. The first time in my lifetime that I saw them in the postseason and actually paid close attention to them. They made it in 2004, but uh, at that time I was too young to understand what was going on. But this is by Man Cave Merch, and it's really awesome. They, they combine a bunch of baseball cards from your favorite team and put it into a coaster. It works great, and it's, uh, I don't think there's anything better, Derek, than drinking and putting it on a, uh, a coaster of your favorite team. That's going to do it for our third episode. We will have more divisional previews as we move forward here. Check us out. We're on iTunes. Subscribe. Give us a five-star review. We are on Google Play. We're on Amazon Audible. Uh, pretty much anywhere you can find your podcast. Podbean as well. We are there. But that's going to do it for the show. For Dusty Baker, I'm Derek Johnson. Thanks for tuning in to Booze and Baseball, episode number three. We'll be back next week.